0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. I'm Dr. Brienne Showman brown and I am joined today by Jay Martin, owner of JMM Health Solutions and pelvic health expert. She is my go-to person for all things pelvic health related, especially when it comes to working with athletes and dealing with any issues they may be having. We had a great discussion today about what incontinence is, why athletes have a lot of incontinence issues, and tips and tricks to help treat it on your own. I think as an athlete or a coach, you will get a ton of valuable information out of this, and I'm super excited to be able to share it with you. So let's tune in. Hey, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, I am awesome. Recovering, but awesome. (laughs)
0: Recovering is good. Recovering is good.
1: Recovering is good.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So, you are what I consider one of the experts in the women's health field, especially when working with athletes. So I'm super excited to get you on today to kind of discuss um, just general pelvic health stuff and then specifically for athletes as well. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to dive into first is just in general why do so many women have, um, public health issues specifically, um, incontinence or leaking type issues?
1: Um, so oftentimes incontinence, and I should, I should probably back up and just kind of explain what incontinence is. Incontinence is just the unwanted passage or or loss of urine or feces. And in most cases, we're not talking about fecal incontinence in most, although that can happen. And, um, is known to happen with athletes as well, um, especially um, it's been seen in um, some CrossFit in populations. There have been, you know, reports or whatever people have, have kind of said, Hey, this has happened to me. But um, based on everything that I'm hearing, it's mostly happening in runners, and I think that has a lot to do with just the endurance of the pelvic floor muscles. So you're seeing it in those people who are going very, very long distances, your marathoners, your ultra stuff like that. Um, but pretty much incontinence um, in loss of, of urine, which is pretty much what most people associate it with, happens due to weakness of the pelvic floor. And so your pelvic floor is made up of three layers. You've got your, your first layer, which is mostly the muscles that are responsible for sexual function, sexual appreciation. The next layer is the sphincters, or the muscles that control um, just the, the rectum and the, an- and the ureter. Um, So they allow you to pee and poop. And what happens, um, well, let me back up. And the third layer is the deep pelvic floor muscles. So the deep pelvic floor muscles act to support the organs, the uterus, um, the bladder and the rectum and kind of help just keep them where they need to be. So if those are weak, we already know that, you know, there's going to be loss of that support. And essentially there can be loss of that control. So so you can have some functional issues there. Um, The other thing is that second layer of pelvic floor muscles controls the sphincter. So if you kind of think of a pipe, you know, the pipe is off until you turn the knob, until you turn it on. And similarly, you know, you're not going to leak pretty much, or you're not going to urinate until that pelvic floor relaxes to allow the urine to come through. And typically what happens is when your bladder has reached a certain capacity, um, it sends a signal to your brain and say, Hey, here's where we're at. And the brain is like, okay, yes, we are in a good place and we could go urinate or no, you know, now's probably not a good time. Let's just hold it for a few minutes or whatever have you. So you ultimately have control over that action. Um, And then whenever you do go, when your brain does say, all right, it's time to go, your bladder starts to contract and then your pelvic floor muscles will start to relax. And that's how the process goes. Typically, if those muscles are weak, then there is no stop. So if the bladder starts to contract, that's it. You're going to go. Um, what we're finding with some people is a, they may have a weak pelvic floor. And so, you know, that makes sense. There's no support there. And then the sphincters are weak, so they can't control just the flow, but we're finding more so with athletes that that's not their problem. So most of them for all intents and purposes, you know, have strong muscles, um, not necessarily a strong pelvic floor, but the muscles tend to be tight. And, you know, as you would know, as a therapist, strong doesn't equal, um, tight doesn't equal strong. Um, and usually when it's tight, the muscle can't contract and relax as it needs to. The other thing is they tend to do a few things. So they may be substituting other muscles and just kind of grip in that pelvic floor. Or um, oftentimes with their activity, because they're gripping or because the muscles are so tight, they tend to fatigue after a while and and you know the train of thought right now is that once those muscles start to fatigue is when the leaking starts so we're finding that with more endurance demands that's when you're having those issues or with more impact demands so if you think of um anything that involves jumping box jumps when people are doing double unders, single unders um or rather double-unders and triple-unders, they're tending to jump a little bit higher, um, which increases because they're jumping higher, there's more energy, more momentum, tends to be a, a heavier land and a stronger ground reaction force, especially when they fatigue. Same thing with jump boxes. They get tired, You know, it might start to look a little sloppy, um, but the, the impact tends to be a little bit more. And so if you're having that heavy impact on the floor, then that's gonna translate to more ground reaction forces coming back at you. And with an already overworked pelvic floor because it's gripping, when that thing fatigues, then it can't sustain or counter those pressures and forces, and so that ultimately leads to leaking. So what we're finding is that with um, with a lot of um, athletes doing high impact sports, um, they're having a lot of um, a lot of leaking. So you think gymnasts, um, trampoline, trampolinist, um CrossFitters, and then um, even with some of your other sports, though, you're finding, and I think the, this plays in more to the endurance aspect, swimmers, um, track and field athletes, you know, those types of volleyball players, those types of things, basketball players. And I don't think that you're probably – so the they, the last – there was a bit of um, research that I read, and I think they said – probably about 60% of gymnasts leak. Um, but you think they're bounding. It's a lot of heavy impact work. Um, and then you look at something like basketball, which may be, you know, in the teens or the 20s, as far as what percentage of, the, of them leak versus swimming, which is like 6%. And I really feel like the difference in the, because basketball has, say, more jumping than volleyball. And I, I'm curious to know what the difference is based on position, because none of that research has been specified in that way. But um, I think because ultimately with those other sports, it it comes about more, you know, you're using those slow-twitch muscle fibers, the endurance, you're really working on endurance, and those muscles are kind of fatiguing versus just the fast-twitch muscles, which have to go, um, especially more so with the impact.
0: Interesting. Totally makes sense. So if an athlete is having problems with any sort of leakage, what are some kind of tips, tricks, techniques they can do to start working on it or addressing it?
1: Um, a few, few things that I like to tell people to work on. Um, you want to breathe. A lot of times athletes, especially, um, you know, when things, you know, when it gets down to crunch time, when they're nervous, when, you know, when things get real intense. And it's, it's interesting how often it happens, but it's like they forget to breathe. It's like breathing doesn't exist, you know, um, even even with CrossFitters and you think of going into, you know, lifts or you going into double unders or whatever have you. Um, and that's not to say there may not be a point where breath holding um, to a certain extent may not be beneficial, but we're talking now in the sense of a one rep max. So usually when somebody's doing a one rep max, it's extremely heavyweight, more than likely something they haven't lifted before. And the benefit of a slight breath hold, and you're, you may not even necessarily have to breath hold through the entire movement, but maybe through the, the heavier portion of the movement, um, is because that breath holding helps to set you up for increased support because of the increased intra-abdominal pressure. Kind of the same thing with people using belts. They use the belt as a brace, um, and it helps to give them that extra support um, as they're doing heavy lifts and whatnot. So, you know, but ultimately I tell people breathe through your activity, try to, try to really focus on your breathing. Um, try to be more mindful of that. Um, when all else fails, you know, especially with athletes, I'm like blow before you go. So on the, on the effort portion of whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing a jump, if you're doing a lift on the primary effort, you want to make sure that you're exhaling because as you exhale, um, your pelvic floor tends to, to engage anyway. It tends to recoil. And that comes through part of just the breathing, the breathing cycle and the way that the respiratory system is set up. Um, when you inhale, your diaphragm is going to descend. And, you know, that it's almost like you think of a syringe, you know, you pull the plunger down and there's a vacuum and then air or liquid or whatever comes in. So if you think of your, your diaphragm as a plunger, when that descends, then the air air comes in, the volume increases. But as a result of the diaphragm descending, then the organs tend to get pushed down. Um, And the pelvic floor reacts or responds to that by descending as well. So it's like this nice rhythmic pattern. And as you breathe out, the diaphragm recoils and goes back up. The organs kind of, they're able to go back up. And the pelvic floor is able to to go back up as well. So you can actually engage your pelvic floor just by having better control of your breath um, and exhaling with activity and exhaling with work. The other thing I would probably mention too is just being more mindful of posturing and positioning, um, specifically with lifting. So, you know, something as simple as, you know, most athletes have heard about the butt wink with squatting. Um, And one of the, the things that I'll have people do is try to tuck their pelvis under so their butt's not out. So it makes them look like they have a really flat butt and then try to squat. And what you realize is one, your hips naturally kind of want to go into that internal rotation. So your knees want to kiss. And then two, you can't really get very far. But now if you go the other way and you, you know, you anteriorly tilt your pelvis, so it's kind of like you know, stick your booty out, um, and you go down into a squat, you're able to clear a little bit more. And so position plays a huge role in, in what we do, position and posture. Same thing, you know, if, you're, if your shoulders are rounding, it's really going to impact lifts, especially overhead lifts, and the amount of clearance that you can get. So, really making people aware of their posture, you know, having a nice upright posture, having that neutral spine. Um, because the other thing with having that neutral spine um, and, and being able to have that pelvis not posteriorly tilted is that it allows your external rotators to work because if it's tilted it, if it's tilted posteriorly, your external rotators are going to be stretched. They're, they're, they're going to be in a position where they can't move. They can't shorten. They're going to be overly stretched. And so that's not good, especially going into a squat because we really want that external rotation, um, at our hips as well. So just, I mean, even those two simple things are the first two things I'll tell most people to start with.
0: Awesome. Let's break it down just a little bit further. So if someone's doing a one rep max, um, either clean or snatch, mm-hmm. it's typical that we take that deep breath in right before mm-hmm. we set up. So walk us through kind of when we, when you want us to exhale, when you want us to inhale, like throughout that whole process.
1: So if you're going to do a one rep max, usually what I would tell people to do is you want to take a deep breath in as you set up. And then exhale and go through the movement. I mean, ultimately, the movement is a pretty quick one. I mean, you're not going to be snatching through more than probably a three-second, you know, duration, Um, unless you've purposely broken it down. But when you're trying to do something like that, you know, there's a bit of speed that goes along with it. So you want to go ahead and breathe in. Inhale as you set up, as you're in that lowered position, as you're gripping that bar, and as you exhale, go ahead and perform that lift. the The thing I tell most people to do, if you kind of back back to like doing doing a, a just the bar or doing just you know doing even no weight just to kind of go through movement and movement prep, you should be able to breathe through your movement prep because the weight is not so heavy that you need to employ a strategy of that extreme and if the weight is truly very heavy then i will usually tell most people go ahead and exhale just slightly so you don't you breathe in just let a little bit of that air out so you're doing a slight um breath hold and then lift but that again is at a one rep max because if we're doing lower weights you should be able to breathe through the entirety of that movement again you know inhaling on that setup and exhaling with that work
0: awesome thank you for breaking that down. And then I know we talked on the phone a couple days ago, um, talk about the posture for double unders in order to kind of prevent that leakage as well. Um, Walk us through that, that that postural difference.
1: So typically when people are doing um, double unders, you know, when people are are doing well with double unders, your trunk tends to have almost either it's upright and neutral or you almost tend to have a slight anterior lean. Typically when people start to get tired, They fall back into their trunk. Tends to shift backwards. Weight tends to go back into the heels, which kind of goes back into play with that whole posterior pelvic tilt because now your bum's tucked under. You know, weight is kind of coming down on your heels or the the the, you know the posterior part of the foot, um, the hind foot versus the front part of the foot and the toes, Um, and so you're getting a lot of ground reaction forces there. Ultimately, what you want to do is try to maintain your trunk either upright or slightly forward whenever you're doing your double unders. Like I tell most patients, if you get to the point where you're starting to feel symptoms and you're fatigued, and then what you want to do in your training is you want to stop. So if you can do 20 double unders before you start to leak, then let's stop and go in intervals of 15 and start building up from there. Because ultimately, you know, a lot of your work, especially if you're, you're an avid athlete is going to be done outside of the box versus in the box. You know, when you're in the box, yeah, you're doing strength training. Yeah. You're doing movement prep, but ultimately you're coming in to do a watch. Um, So a lot of your work and a lot of your training, a lot of that's going to be put in even outside of the, you know, the confines of that hour that you're going to be in the box. Um, And so even at home, just start doing intervals where you're doing a, a, a rep amount that you can handle and doing just repeated sets of that. So let's say, again, you can do 20 double unders without leaking, we wanna do about 15 to 20, and we wanna take a short rest break, maybe 30 seconds, and right back at it again. And you wanna kinda keep doing that up to, let's say, five, six reps. And then we wanna increase that number. So let's say you could do 15 successfully for those six reps, let's increase again, let's do maybe 18 to 20. And then let's increase again and maybe go up to 25. And then let's increase again. And so you want to keep building on that. So what you're allowing your body to do is you're allowing your body in those muscles to build up tolerance for the activity. Um, and you're allowing your body to build up endurance for the activity. So it's no different than if you wanted to run a 5k, but you can't even run 2k, you know? So what you'd probably do is you might start off walking. Um, you know, Or you might say, okay, well, let me walk a kilometer, let me run two kilometers, because uh, I know I can handle that, and then let me walk the last two. So I've still done 5K, but what I'm really doing is I'm trying to increase my tolerance for even going that distance of, of a 5K. Um, and then you say, okay, well, you know what? I'll, I'll walk the first kilometer. Let me see if I can run two and a half now. Um, and just walk the last kilometer and a half, or let me see if I can do three and walk the last kilometer and a half and just gradually build up. So ultimately your tolerance is still there. Your volume is still there, but you're just building your endurance and your tolerance for that specific activity and the intensity within the activity. You're building
0: that up. Awesome. So if someone does these tricks, doesn't really help them much. Is that a sign that it's a weak pelvic floor more so than anything else?
1: Um, it could be a sign that there's a little bit more going on. So oftentimes, again, with athletes, um, you know, you don't typically, you can find weak pelvic floor, but a lot of the times you'll you'll find a lot of tight muscles. And it very well could be that they may need some internal work. Oftentimes as pelvic floor therapists, we're trained to um, assess the muscles, not only externally, but internally. Um, the pelvic floor muscles, you know, to some extent, you can assess them externally, but that doesn't really give you a, a lot of very good detail. Um, and so when we're um, checking for things like trigger points, muscle tightness, uh, coordination, endurance, the, just the ability to engage those muscles, we definitely want to go internally. The same thing with your um, some of those hip muscles. So for instance, your obturator internus is a hip external rotator and we can assess it from the outside but the obturator internus is is very interesting in that it does have attachments into the pelvic floor in the same connective tissue that some of those deep pelvic floor muscles attach to that also attaches there and so with that you can go internally and be able to assess for trigger points also within that muscle which is a hip external rotator and very very important one as far as um athletes go um and, and really kind of gauge what's going on. So sometimes it may be, you know, maybe there are some trigger points. Maybe there are some other things going on that need to be addressed. Um, or, you know, maybe it's just a coordination issue. and Maybe you, they may just need a little bit more one-on-one to kind of work through some of the, the other things that they may have going on. Cool.
0: Because essentially, you know, when you think about it, muscles are muscles. And so those mm-hmm. trigger points shut a muscle down. So if you have any of those in that area... It's going to sense you the same thing as any other muscle. Yeah. And and like
1: I usually tell people, you know, oftentimes, especially even in conversations with people about pelvic therapy and and what, you know, what do you do? I'm like, you know, if you hurt your bicep, you're working out, you're an athlete, you hurt your bicep, you know, you can see your bicep when you bend your elbow um, and straighten your elbow, you can see that the muscle action. And if there's something going on, you can address that if you hurt your 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 quads or your hamstring, you can see those muscles and you can address that. You can't see the pelvic floor muscles, but they can still be addressed. And just the same way, like you said, if, if it were another muscle that had an injury or had an issue, and we would address those the same way, um, that's what we want to do with the pelvic floor. Because ultimately, we really need those muscles to function, not, not even only for continence, but again, because those muscles act um, as a support system to those pelvic organs, but also because they're part of your anticipatory system um, in helping to stabilize that region so that your extremity so your legs can move, so your trunk can move. And so, if that anticipatory system is, is knocked out, then that can really affect performance, you know, PRs, the things that people are most interested in, you know, which are, you know, the performance, the PRs, that type of stuff that can really, really impact that. So, you you know, if you're having issues in that area, just like anything else, you really want to get it
0: addressed. Awesome. So as, as an athlete, obviously we can work on our own things. These issues aren't necessarily anything that's talked about on a regular basis with coaches by any means, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, athlete to coach wise. Is there anything Without the athlete actually speaking up that just coaches can use as just a general cue for people um, or just kind of any tips that you can give as far as the coaches aspect on things just to address it without like them actually knowing, you know, what's going on with each individual person.
1: Um, so usually I will tell people, um, if, you know, if you're leading a class, especially a group, you don't have time to walk around and look at everybody necessarily, um, or, or as much as you probably would like to. So even the cue blow before you go, um, just kind of sets them up as a trigger in their mind to remember before they really go ahead and and do the exertion part of whatever they're doing that they need to exhale. And like I said, that exhale kind of sets your system up and sets that pelvic floor up. Um, and that term was coined by by a fellow therapist. She's really really awesome. Um, Women's health PT, also Julie Weeby. Um, the other thing is, I usually will tell coaches. I mean, you can you can watch people walk into your gym. You know, you can you can kind of see when you know that there are things going on. But a lot of times, a lot of injuries will mimic. Um, and I'll send you the infographic for your listeners as well. A lot of um, injuries will mimic just regular orthopedic things. So, you know, you're having groin pain. Well, your adductors have a common attachment point um, similar to the pelvic floor muscles in that they attach onto the pubic bone. Well, you're going to have pain in there. And, and you know, if you're having pain, either pelvic pain can refer to the region of, of the groin or you may truly be having some groin pain if you're having... Um, If you're having like some, you know, bursitis type pain, again, the obturator internus wraps around and has attachments on that greater trochanter. And so you're thinking, well, I could probably have some pelvic floor issues that can refer. So ultimately, if they're having issues, it may not necessarily be specifically within the pelvis, like they're not going to say, you know, you know, I got saddle pain, my crotch hurts, something like that. It could very well be things that we've already hurt. I think I got SI joint pain. I think my groin hurts, you know, the side of my hip here, you know, I feel it. And so just being mindful of those things as coaches. Um, The other thing is sometimes I will offer people a screen. So if you've kind of peeked that some of your people – have, have mentioned certain things, or you know that every time, you know, double unders is part of the WOD, you kind of see like a whole slew of people just ease and go to the bathroom. It's usually a telltale sign. You know, they go, they go to the bathroom before the wad starts. Um, you, you kind of pretty much already know you already know. And so I would all, as a coach, I would at least let them know, Hey, if 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 it's something they feel comfortable talking about, then sure. Um, kind of be mindful of who those people are, and then I would even give them a screen, and I can all, always send that to you as well. Give them a screening tool to say, hey, if you have any of these symptoms, then you may very well need to see a pelvic health specialist, um, or just letting them know that you can be utilized as a resource. Hey, you know, um, if if you're having any issues, let me know so that I can connect you with um, with another, you know, a therapist or whomever, because ultimately the thing, and one of the things I really appreciate and respect about CrossFit, you know, it's not like going to anytime fitness or it's not like going to, you know, like one of those little like crunch or whatever. I mean, you can, you can pay your 10, 20, 30, $40, how much ever gyms cost nowadays to go to one of those places and do a workout by yourself. But the beauty of CrossFit is in that community. So people will pay the extra, because they could do the workouts by themselves, but people pay the extra for that community and they pay the extra and 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 then the 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 programming is beautiful, but they pay the extra for those things. And so part of that community is really utilizing that community aspect to say, hey, if there's something wrong with my people, let me see what I can do for them. And I think that that CrossFit more so than other gyms, coaches are poised to be able to do that. Um, because of that community aspect. Yeah, definitely. that makes sense.
0: So if someone has more questions about all this, coach or athlete, how can they find you or reach out to you? So I am
1: on Facebook at JMM Health Solutions. Um, that's my page and on Instagram at JMM Health Solutions or they can email me info at jmmhealthsolutions.com. And awesome. usually, you know, all my contact information is on Facebook and on Instagram. So they can call, they can email, they can direct message, all that stuff. Awesome. Thank
0: you so much for that. Any last final thoughts that you want to kind of just pinpoint?
1: Um, just, just to say that I'm glad that we we're at least having the conversation and having it more often. I think, you know, one of the most disheartening things, especially for athletes, is a lot of athletes actually leave the sport because of issues. Um, And, and, and there's been research that has shown that. And so it's sad when you have, um, because if you look at most athletes, they're passionate about what they do. Um, And so when you actually have an athlete, especially a a high level athlete leaving a sport because of something like incontinence, then that's worrisome because there is actually a solution for that, you know? Um and, and what that tells me is either they didn't know they, they didn't have resources or nobody around them knew that could point them in the direction of the resources. So all that to say, you know, if if um listeners out there are having issues, know that there are resources um and you know you're not you're not alone. The other thing is common is not normal. So just because your auntie, your sister, your grandma, your mom, and whoever else has leaked. And has told you, oh, yeah, I've done that. Um, it does not mean that it's normal. It's common and it, it may happen to a lot of people for, you know, any number of reasons. However, it is not normal because a normally functioning pelvic floor, um, with that, you wouldn't be leaking. You know, that's not something that should be occurring. So that's also something to keep in mind.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you talking to my listeners. Yeah, thank you for having me. That concludes this episode of highly functional I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals if you learned great information from this I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well until next time go out and be Highly functional.